Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. And welcome to episode number 23, Leafs Guy. Jim Taddy with you. We've got lengthy conversations on the way with Bill Waters, former Leafs assistant general manager, Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey Roto World as they get into their analysis of where the Leafs are. Before we get there, it's peanuts and popcorn time. Baseball is back. That is correct, sir. Teams are getting back on the diamond this week. Last year's season was sure different, but that doesn't mean it lacked excitement, and this year is poised to be even better. So, DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a free shot at a share of millions of dollars in total prizes. There is the new equation for the week. Free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is very easy to play. Just select 10 players, stay under the salary cap, pile up the points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There is no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars throughout the week. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament. So with millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week, there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's the promo code THPN, free shot, share of millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. For details, okay, into the hockey story. So what do we have here? This is what happens when you let numbers play out. So at the end of the season, let's say that the Leafs and Oilers were going into a playoff series. Somebody would trot out and say, the Leafs were 6-1-2 and against Edmonton this year. They were dominant. Well, they were for three games. So, so let's take the scalpel out and chip away at the 6-1-2. and two. Not to discredit the Leafs, full value for the 6-1-2. and two. But if you take out those three games where they dominated in Edmonton, then you're left with 3-1-2. and two. At the 3-1-2, and two, there's one overtime win. There's two overtime losses. So really what you're at is 2-1. and 2-1, and one, pretty close, which typifies what happens the last two games, very close. In fact, there wasn't anything uh, different between the teams. A 4-3 overtime win Saturday for the Leafs, 3-2 overtime win for Edmonton on Monday night. That's pretty even stuff, and that's what the 2-1 and one tells you. So when they refer to the regular season stats in the playoffs, you have to discount them because it would be very rare indeed for the Leafs to come up with three games in a row against Edmonton as they did earlier in the season. So that's where numbers get misleading. Here's where it gets optimistic. When I look at the Leafs lineup, the left side, You've heard of the left-wing lock? How about the left-wing shift? That's what the Leafs have. Saturday night, they started in this order, descending order, Thornton, Simmons, Mikheyev, and Galchenyuk. 
They had to switch after the lease went down in the second period. In the third, the lineup was as it was all Monday night in descending order. Hyman, Galchenyuk, Mikheyev, and Thornton. I like the flexibility. I like the adjustment. Hyman should play with Matthews and Marner for the most part, and Galchenyuk looks like a pretty good fit with Tavares and Nylander. And then you've got the other flexibility of Simmons and Spezza on the right side of the third and fourth line. They could move over to the left. In fact, Spezza could play center if need be. Engvall and Kerfoot, centers in the third and fourth line, could be moved to the wing. Kerfoot has played up on the top line. That flexibility has me adjusting the way I look at the trade deadline. In the past, I think I got sucked in like everybody else. Must have a top seven player, meaning a third liner who could move up into the top six. Now what I'm looking at is I think the Leafs have to acquire a support player that could play if need be, in case of injury or in case there's a matchup that doesn't quite work in a playoff series, that's a bit of a downgrade, and the price would go down from where we were originally on this subject, and I think you might agree with that. On the blue line, I would look at adding a player who doesn't have to play but is only there in case of an injury. I like the six-man unit they have now, and again, sometimes in a matchup situation, you may need to adjust, and I don't want it to be somebody from the taxi squad or the Marley. So we'll worry about that when that happens, but that's how I see that situation. And the goaltending situation is a little scary for me because the Campbell and Anderson injuries track the same way. I'm not saying they're the same injury, but they track the same way. In other words, either one of those guys can't play consecutive games because then there's a maintenance problem. And, I mean, this is just not how you go into the playoffs. So hopefully the rest will help Campbell and Anderson get ready, but there's no question about it. When you're playing the likes of of Winnipeg and Montreal, certainly those two teams jump off the page. You have to have the best goalie. You're going up against Hellebuck and Price, so your number one had better be healthy. Not that he wouldn't have to be for any other team that you would play. Uh, Obviously, in the Edmonton series, you'd, you'd like to have the better goalie, so that's a bit of a concern, but I don't think it's solvable at the trade deadline. All right, let's jump into some analysis now, bringing Bill Waters, the former Leafs assistant general manager. So we've got a a 4-3 win by the Leafs on Saturday in overtime and a 3-2 win by Edmonton Monday night in overtime. Eerily similar. I mean, these these two teams were were dead even, weren't they? Yeah, it's it's amazing how you can come off a three-game series like the Leafs did in Edmonton and be neck and neck. I mean, there's not much to choose between the two from a result standpoint. And as you were pointing out to me, it's not so much the Leafs. It's the turnaround that Edmonton has made. And is that because of Smith in the nets? He seems to be the guy that they count on and he makes the saves that are not made by others and keeps them in the game. I, I think it might have quite a bit to do with, the change, in part, he at least instigated it and has carried it for them since the Leafs uh, beat the Oilers three times in Edmonton. Yeah, you know, I think if you went over those three games in Edmonton, you would find that the Oilers were at times generous and the Leafs took advantage of that. I don't want to take away from what the Leafs did because I thought their games in Edmonton were meticulous. Um, Clearly on Saturday night, when you let McDavid and company get out of their own zone, that's a problem. And they did not do that in the three games in Edmonton. They were on them right from the start. And, and they, they got a little lax that way at times. Not different brief periods, but it did cost them, didn't it? Yeah, well, it, I mean, I don't think it's arguably. The greatest player in the world, Connor McDavid, has to have some form of restraint because if you don't, you can't keep up to him. And 
he's such a gifted player that he's he's a game changer. And last night he was. He let it, let Matthews have a shot at uh, in the opening of the overtime and came right back to set up a beautiful goal by Nurse. So it's he's he's end to end. He's he's a 200 foot player who has to be attended to. And to your point, Jim, they eliminated uh, him and his partner in crime. Uh, when they were at Edmonton, the Leafs stayed away from the penalties because they were afraid of the uh, uh, afraid of the power play, and I think that's reasonable with those two on it. But the Leafs' style of play is entirely different when they're challenged by penalties. It used to be that they could kill you on the power play. Well, the Leafs' power play, I think, is now over 19. That's not a power play that's killing anybody. Same people, yeah, except. Uh, uh, they may have made some small changes, but I just, uh, it, it's its perplexing because there's not an answer, I don't think. There's nobody to blame. You can blame the coach. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I've made my points clear on him before, so let him continue as is. Uh, but if you at least don't like to play in a game where there is retaliation, they like to advance the puck and not be bothered. And last night, I think there were three or four penalties, which is not very many, but that's that's a leaf type of game, and yet they were still unable uh, unable to win it, although they had lots of good chances. There's no question of that. Yeah, I just looking over the score sheet. They had one power play last night. They had two on Saturday. So the numbers really aren't there, but you know, all of that means is that you know, one of the the big leaf weapons, the power play, is taken out, um, and that's in a in a one goal hockey game. That that's a key factor, isn't it? Yes, it is. And you know what was impressive? I mean, we have to be positive where it's due. I thought that Tavares and his line mates were the oh. best line in both third periods, and that's when you have to show up. I mean, it's usually a tie game when you're playing Edmonton, but they had a number of chances, and good for Tavares because I was worried about him. Uh, he played a strong game overall, but his third periods, both Saturday and last night, uh, were the John Tavares of old. And that might be a positive sign as the Leafs go forth on their road trip. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And Galchenia, for whatever reason, uh, is a nice fit on that line. He, he actually seems to lift Tavares's game, which is a nice thing to say about anybody. And, and I like the chemistry there. I was thinking of a comparable for Delchenyuk, and I came up with uh, one from years ago, uh, Dan Cleary in Detroit, another first-round pick who kicked around and, and found a home in Detroit, and, and maybe, I think the Leafs would be ecstatic if that could happen with Delchenyuk. Well, I, I think as, as you watch, you say to yourself, uh, is this uh, illusory? Is this a transformation? But this guy was a third pick overall. That puts him in a unique group of hockey players and of hockey talent. And the way he's played over the past two and a half, three years has not been of a guy picked third in the draft. So maybe there is the confidence factors coming back, playing with good players, better players. And if that's the case, the Leafs have got a steal. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it could be, I'd like your take on this, something as simple as here's your role, as opposed to when Montreal drafted him, he was a center, they turned him into a winger tried to turn him back into a center, would scramble a guy's mind. And I think that everybody up until now, when they got him, 
thought he was the number three overall pick. And when he comes to the Leafs, he's on his last ticket. And they just walk up to him and say, go to the Marlies, work things out. Here's what we want you to do on this line. Simplifies everything, doesn't it? It surely does. And it, it, particularly in Galchenyuk's mind, because when you go through the trip that you just described, from a top centerman in this hockey market, uh, not the greatest, but close to it in, in, in North America, certainly, Montreal, and then it just goes downhill from there. Every deal from that point on was a discard, and he ended up on the pile of, of discards that uh, a lot of whom have never been able to come back. But based on Galchenyuk's last two games, something is happening there, and I, and I think it's a confidence factor quite frankly, that that's a very easy uh, problem to resolve. Oh, just get your confidence back. Well, I don't know it's that easy, but I think Kalchenyuk is chipping away at it, and if he continues to play uh, with Tavares and uh, Nylander, then he, he's going to get opportunities that a player of his talent level can take advantage of and create as well. He's not wasting the puck, throwing it to some slug. So I think Elchenyuk's on the cusp of his career, future and past. He could be finished or he could be a stable part of a good, strong team for a few years to come because he certainly has played that way since he's gotten with Tavares and with Nylander. Well, you got to like his timing. I mean, you know, for this to happen weeks before the trade deadline, I don't know what they're going to do at the deadline, and we could speculate for hours on that, but but this is a nice ad at this time because it it may mean that they don't push as hard for for a, a higher end player and, and just settle for somebody. I, settle isn't the right word, but go after somebody who adds to their depth and, instead of a front liner. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's a good point, Jim. If, if there's no sense of flipping Galchenyuk for Taylor Hall. You know, you've yeah. got a Taylor Hall. Unfortunately, has lost his mojo and has not been of any help to the worst team in the game. So if you, and, and they're going to want big stuff for them. Uh, so I, I think if you can fill that hole and be happy with it in Galchenyuk, then you're going to save yourself oh, a second and a third. Probably that's what, would, uh, that's what the market will bear. And the team wouldn't change that much, except that in Taylor Hall's case, he's become very, uh, Despond, not despondent, that's the wrong word. He's disinterested. Because yeah. this guy was an MVP in the league one year. He's never recognized it. And that's too bad. That's nothing to blow anyone's horn about. But uh, Taylor Hall's on the uh, horns of a significant dilemma. He's got to figure out who he was, when he was, and not who he is now that he's back here. He he just doesn't play with the, the skill level that he so abundantly indicated early in his career. And I, I think he's, he's not a good, he's not a good bet for a short term fix. Yeah. I just came away with, uh, you know, over the last three or four games with everybody back and healthy, of course, I, I would be interested in depth because you can't predict uh, a healthy roster, especially going through that playoff run, which is monumental, but I like the flexibility. I mean, they did a, a number of things, on, you know, on the left side, and, and, you know, the old defensive system was the left-wing lock. What the Leafs have is the left-wing shift because they can move anybody on any one of those lines. Last night it was Hyman, Galchenyuk, Mikheyev, and Thornton. 
You've got Simmons and Spezza who can move over there. You've got Kerfoot who could move up if he had to. And Engvall could play the wing. I mean, I really like that flexibility, and I wouldn't want to mess with it. So, again, I go back to you just bring in a support player, and, and you only really need him in case of injury, which is something they have to guard against. That's right. And, and, and really, they should be focusing on getting the potential that they have in the lineup that they have now a little closer to where it should be because the Leafs have got enough skilled players that uh, something is missing. Uh, the coach probably knows, and he's going to have to spend time getting that team ready for the playoffs without having to pay a big deal for somebody that may or may not change it. I mean, Yelchenyuk is not the guy they planned on changing it, but when they got him here and put him to, to work in a situation that was much unlike what he had for the past five years, he all of a sudden started to uh, re- reignite a great talent, and that's much easier than trying to get a short-term fix for a couple of good dresses. And, and so I'm with you, Jim. I, I don't think there's any reason to panic with the leap defense. I think the forwards are abundantly capable. Uh, when their goaltending gets settled one way or the other, I think that will be helpful. And as everyone says, Freddie has to get back to being Freddie. I mean, that team with Freddie Anderson at his prime, in his prime, is is much better than it is without. And uh, that's no disrespect to the two backups. They do their best and play well on most occasions. So I I just think that it's uh, if Anderson gets ready, then the defense says if they can get some depth on defense, I think that would help. But based on the way the defense is playing now, I think it's as good as it's been Oh, in the last six or seven years, I, I don't think they, they ever have had uh, a defense that plays the solid, uh, mistake-free game that this group plays. And obviously, it's getting more confidence as it plays more. And uh, they stay together, and the, the same group keeps, keeps going over the boards. I think they've done a nice job of rebuilding the defense this year. Yep, I would agree with you. I, and. In fact, um, my wish list for the lease would be acquire a veteran defenseman with size and hope you never have to use them because what you have in front of them is pretty darn good. I mean, that's like an emergency backup. The, the, the situation that scares the hell out of me is the goaltending. Just because I don't quite understand, um, they're, they're not very clear on what the Anderson injury is, lower body, Jack Campbell, lower body, and it just seems that when either one of them comes back, they have to be really uh, managed properly that you can't overplay them so these are two guys that have chronic problems not in terms of uh, years but but in terms of short-term chronic situations that have to be managed and i'm just a little afraid of that what are your thoughts well i'm concerned as well because freddie's injury has gone on far too long yeah you remember when kachuk jumped on campbell's leg i suspect Mm -hmm. He's got a cartilage or a ligament problem in his knee. That's just my suspicion because that's where he landed. And if that's the case, then you got to make sure that they're ready to play. And a goaltender with a wonky knee is not very good. And he, it's not because of lack of trying. It's because of his uh, instability on, in his base, which is, of course, the key to his game. So they have to find out 
uh, how long it's going to be. I mean, you can't keep saying, well, he'll be back in six days, and then he comes back and he goes back on. I mean, I, it's so uncertain, and it's uncertain for the team because they know that Freddie's the guy that's going to allow them, with what they have this year, to at least advance one round in the Canadian Conference. And uh, without the goaltending, uh, then it, it's, it's, it's not a reality. It's just a dream. Well, I mean, the lateral movement is key. Um, on the game on Saturday, the first Edmonton goal, the one by Nurse that went right through Campbell, when I saw that go in, I thought, well, that's just, you know, a healthy Jack Campbell would have made that save. That that told me that he, there was something not quite right about him. And sure enough, uh, the next day he's he's off. And, and, and Monday night's game, he didn't even dress to back up. So, I mean, there's wear and tear there that yeah, he, that's he, troublesome. Yeah, it, it was troublesome watching him Saturday. I mean, he they had three shots and they were in, and he was just he, he, there, there's something holding him up from doing what he would do normally. Yeah, and that's obviously the injury, and they, they better spend some more time on it. If, if he's yeah. if he's still hurt, why do you throw him back in the net? Just well, this is this is what they did they with Freddie. Yeah. yeah, no, I. I I think Freddie has to stay away for a while. When you've got two, what you consider to be your two goaltenders and you're playing with them, out one game, in one game, out one game, and you see what you've done to Anderson, and you're going to end up doing the same thing to Campbell. So if that's not a lesson well-learned, then shame on them. And I'll be interested to see how they handle the Campbell situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, now they go for games uh, in Winnipeg and Calgary, and, you know, the, the nine games with Edmonton are done. And here's where the numbers get really tricky. I went over this earlier. Uh, you could refer back to the regular season as the Leafs were 6-1-2, and two, uh, but if you take out those three games and consider them an outlier, they were 3-1-2, and two, and one of the three was an overtime win, which means they're they're pretty well dead even if you throw out those three games which is an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and it, it's uh, it's an aberration of the schedule that allows them to uh, maybe look a little better than they are. And uh, that, that whole division has tightened right up, and it'll be interesting to see how they play against Winnipeg because Winnipeg is one of the teams. And Calgary's starting to play better, too, so it's not there's not a walk in the park there at all. They have... Uh, they've got their work cut out for them, and they've got Ottawa, or pardon me, Edmonton sitting waiting. And you know what Edmonton and Toronto are going to do? They're going to play one goal games, and goaltending is going to be the the difference. Yeah. So six games against Winnipeg the rest of the way. Six games against Montreal, and a lot of the Montreal schedule is back end loaded, meaning there's a, a bunch of games in Montreal. They, they play them uh, three times at the end, three games in a row, because they had to move that Ottawa game to. Uh, after the regular season ends to make up for the Montreal COVID problem. So they're going to go out three straight Montreal, then Ottawa. Um, the Montreal series and the Winnipeg series really should define who the Leafs are, shouldn't it? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Winnipeg series in particular, they, uh, there, there's, there's a long run, and uh, we've seen how evenly matched they were in Toronto. And I would expect the same thing in Winnipeg. This is a real challenge for them to finish first and get home, ice advantage in the playoffs, 
let alone get themselves ready for a Western Conference final, which will be a, a significant challenge for the Leafs to overcome, or for anyone to overcome. If you're going to beat Vegas and or Colorado, you better get a few players at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's that's clear. And I guess and, and I don't and I, and I wouldn't do it, Jim. I, I, they're so good that your you, two players are not going to make are not going to guarantee anything. Nor is any any number of acquisitions. But you have to be realistically certain or realistically convinced that you're getting two players, one to play defense and one to play on the forward line, is going to make your team that much better than it is now and be, and have a chance to compete with uh, Colorado and Las Vegas. If the Leafs had Freddie Anderson healthy, they could compete now with anybody, in my estimation. Yeah. And that's how important goaltending is. As the old adage says, show me a good goaltender and I'll show you a good coach. Yes. Yeah. And maybe a Stanley Cup and maybe a Conn Smythe trophy as well. I guess we'll find out, you know, and, and a lot of people look at this year for the Leafs as the golden opportunity. And I would tend to concur with that just based on the roster and what happens in the summer. And we've talked about Zach Hyman being re-signed. So obviously somebody has to go. And when you know that that's going to happen, then you understand that you're as deep now as you're ever going to be. And so maybe you do roll the dice. Right. It's hard, hard to predict on that, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and the important thing is in an organization is to realize that you're as close as you are. And then you have to, then you have to answer the question, getting any closer, is that going to make us any closer to beating Las Vegas and or Colorado? Cause that's the uh, penultimate challenge. And right. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's any reason to acquire a player unless you feel that way about your team. And as far as acquiring a player, you should feel that way about your fan base. You know your fans are going to love it, but you've got to say, well, if I give up a second and a third next year's draft, I, I don't know that we ever get get close enough to beat. And you just have to put line up to line up and go up and down them. I mean, the Leafs have gone. Key, in my estimation, their third and fourth lines are as good as anybody's can be. I, I have confidence that the Leafs can throw four lines over the wall that can do as well as anybody. So what's the difference? Goaltending, Lurie's outstanding, and uh, so is the uh, Colorado goaltender. And are they? Well, they're Lurie's probably better, but not much better than Freddie Anderson. They've got to get their their sole purpose between now and entering the playoffs is to get Anderson back into top form. And that'll be too late for the draft, too late for the trade deadline. So I, I'm sure they have, they're having a difficult time wondering whether they want to spend what they have to spend to get a player that would help them. And I, I, I'm not sure that a singular, singular, singular player on that team will make that big a difference because they've got some pretty good depth on their four forward lines. And the third and the fourth, I don't think you can get any better. So I'd be careful. I'd be looking for one big tough defenseman who can play, and there aren't too many of them. So you preclude yourself from a lot of the marketplace. 
but that would that would give the, the defense some depth because as my old boss used to say, Willie, we get in the playoffs, we're going to need nine defensemen, six to play and three to rotate through injuries. And that's what the Leafs have to look at. I'm not sure they have it. Yeah, well, they do, but but they're young. So I don't know that that's a, an audition yeah. spot when the playoffs roll around. But what you said about Freddie Anderson uh, made me think that because, you know, he originally got hurt and they, they put him down and then they played him again, uh, it sort of seems to me that they were trying to figure out what it, what the tolerance was of the injury, and the answer came back no. So now we're into a shutdown, although they won't admit that, and that's probably the best medicine for him is just not to play and, and to be oh, out of oh, it. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's any other medicine. Yeah, and it depends on the severity of the injury. I am assuming that since he could play, it's not that bad. It's not career-ending, but there's something there that has taken away that part of Freddie Anderson's game that is unique to his position and put him in the top five. If Freddie falls up into the top five in the next two or three weeks, then the Leafs have got a chance. Yep. Well said, Bill. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. And here is conversation number two, Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey Roto World with a sort of a big picture analysis of where the Leafs are at. So, Gus, let's go over the nine-game stretch. And the way I've mapped this out on the podcast earlier, 6-1-2 and two is the Leafs' record. If you throw out the three that were just stupendous, the, the three straight wins in Edmonton, then you're left with 3-1-2. One, uh, one of the three wins is an overtime win, so really it's 2-1-2, and two, which is a dead heat, which is what we saw on the last two games. They were evenly matched. Uh, so how do you categorize, when you go through your, your analytics and analysis, how would you deal with that, that nine-game stretch in terms of what, what the relevance is moving forward? Well, I mean, the when they initially started to play the Oilers and we saw that dominance, especially over that three-game stretch, um, I think that that was just a little bit misleading. What you got is a half-assed effort from the Oilers on top of a very structured response from the Leafs. So it, they went into that Western, uh, the Western road trip knowing that they needed to beat Edmonton just because Edmonton is one of those teams that is uh, going to compete for them um, for the top of the division. So going in there and showing them that they can outscore them was great. Um, but going in there and showing that they were able to shut down two of the best players in the league, I think, is the bigger accomplishment and the factor that we should really be focusing on. Now, we saw that McDavid was able to take over the game a couple of games ago. Um, he wasn't as dominant um, in the 3-2 loss or sorry, in the 3-2 win, but yet he still maintained a point streak. Um, so you can't you can't absolutely remove McDavid and, and Dreisaitl from the equation, but you can limit them. And what the Leafs tried to do was limit them, uh, limit their chances, give them less space on the ice to maneuver. And you see the way that we kind of approach defense and, and, and defense is a, a, a bit of a malleable subject these days. To me, defense isn't about um, shot suppression and, and trying to limit shots on goal and limit and goals against. Defense is about getting the puck back. So the Leafs' approach to the Oilers wasn't so much to try to limit the shot generation and the goal generation from Dreisaitl and McDavid. It was, let's get the puck back. If I have the puck, 
I don't have to play defense. So that was the approach that the Leafs tried to take. And I think over the course of the season, you've seen that style start to become more prevalent. It really hit hard when they went and played those three-game series in Edmonton. Um, that's when you saw that the, the mentality of give me the puck is more beneficial and more um, – I guess, positive overall, rather than, okay, let's just try to limit shots against and goals against. So that predominant idea is I need the puck back in order to maximize our best skills. And those best skills are fast play, offensively oriented, really take advantage of the skilled players up front, and even the defense. The defense always moves up and becomes mobile and and part of the offensive solution that the Leafs are trying to implement. So I think that they've done a good job just trying to uh, compartmentalize uh, the factors between David McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. And for the rest of the Oilers, I'm not really too concerned. They, there's some support scoring and there's a little bit of good defensive issues, but uh, they still have problems in net. They still don't have a very structured blue line. So there are other issues there. The Leafs really did a good job of, of mitigating um, the response from the Oilers, best players, by trying to get pucks back. Yeah, I'd like your response because I've had some disagreement with this. And, and when I looked at those three games, and even now when I look back on them, for me it was the uh, the identifying of the Leafs system. It it it, uh, it blossomed and everything went its way. So that that's the high watermark for me. Now, there were some people I talked to that said, well, it's early in the season for that. No, no, no that, that's, that's how it works. That's how it can work. To count on it working like that on a regular basis is, is just foolish because that's just not how the game is played. But that tells me that, that that's the high end. Would you agree with that? I would say that what they've shown as far as a display of their systems is still a bit of a work in progress. Right. However, when you compare it to what they've done over the past few years, especially under Mike Babcock, and let's give Mike Babcock a little bit of, of uh, um, I guess, some credit. Uh, when he initially came in, it was just a matter of let's get the systems to a degree where we can kind of play with them. And we know that we aren't using the players that we're going to move ahead with. Everybody is a bookmark. And then they drafted Austin Matthews. The system changed a little bit. Now, Babcock would allow them to kind of go forward and try to implement a lot of those offensive instincts, but then he reined everything back defensively. When he lost his job, Keefe went back to that offensively oriented um, mindset. So everything that the Leafs do is approached with the preconceived notion of let's score goals. So their defensive system is based on let's get the puck back so we can score goals. If we score five and they score four, we still win the game. So I think over the course of this season, what you've seen is that maturity level kind of coming up. We right. saw an incredible, incredible beginning of the season with Austin Matthews. And I think a lot of that covered some of the issues that the Leafs were kind of showing at the beginning of the season. But things are starting to turn around. With Matthews not scoring as much, they had to focus a little bit more on their quote-unquote defensive game meaning give me the puck back and we'll try to get Matthews more goals, Marner more goals. William Nylander became a lightning rod about 10 games ago and all of a sudden he ended up breaking out. Well, all of that is part and parcel of what the Leafs are trying to do. These aren't individual, uh, individual achievements. These achievements are done because the team has bought into the concept of playing a, an improved defensive game and then really letting those offensive instincts shine. And we still see the same kind of problems in that. If Frederick Anderson isn't the best that he can be, the right. Leafs still have issues. And we saw it last night with the goal that uh, the overtime goal from uh, 
Um, I think it was Darnell Nurse that scored it. Yeah. It, it was just one of those things where it was just, okay, we're going to go run and gun, but that's not really conducive to the Leafs' positive style. They really need to tighten up. Overtime is a bit of an anomaly in this situation, but over the course of the season, we've seen their defensive system really start to come into play, um, and it's and it's starting to, to, um, to become better as far as how they're able to execute. Um, there's subtle differences, but it's been growing over the course of this season. Yeah, I really like the chemistry of their their blue line. It's the six guys. I think it's it's the best they've had in a long, long time. How about you? Um, I like the fact that... Hmm, that's oh. a tough question, Jim. That's a tough <laughs> question. So it's the best according to how they're trying to build their blue line. And I'm going to give you a, a, a specific example here. Okay. Last year when they were really struggling defensively, I thought what they would end up doing is go back to the style of preventing goals, preventing shots, to the, the old defensive mentality. Right. And they didn't. They maintained their defensive elements here. So what this means is instead of going back to the old tried and true and what they used to do back in the day, we're going to continue with our current philosophy. That philosophy is defensemen that are able to jump into the rush, get into the position where they're able to try to retrieve pucks and get possession back and then be part of the offensive solution. So you're right. This probably is the best um, six um, six defensemen that they're able to dress according to the philosophy that they are trying to implement. And now they're starting to see some of those results. I mean, a player like Justin Hall two years ago um, would have just been lost on the ice. And there were little steps that you saw him take. But Justin Hall isn't any better a defenseman than he was two years ago. But because those offensive instincts really mesh well with the Leafs' philosophy with how they want to play defensively, we see improved results. So we see it on the ice. We see it with our eyes. We see it in the numbers. Um, there are a lot of positives that we can actually uh, hang our hats on. Um, and you're probably right. This is probably the best defensive unit that we've seen over the last, let's say, five years. Oh, at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to go back into the uh, the 90s with Pat Burns when, when they had the five guys, but that was a different defense. They just kept everything to the outside. This this is a, a real nice unit. Now, I like what you said there, because really what you're saying is Justin Hall is a nice fit. And, and that's that's how I that's how I analyze because people will will try to run hockey players out of their cities. And, you know, this guy's no good. No, no. He's an NHL player. It's not the right fit. The right fit at the right time after all these years is Galchenyuk with Tavares and Nylander. That that is interesting to watch. What do you think about that? I like it. I like the fact that they took a chance on a player that they knew wasn't going to be a star, but does have those offensive instincts that mesh well up and down the lineup. He doesn't necessarily have to play with Tavares and Nylander, but it's a nice third. In today's NHL, you normally have lines that consist of two pair, like a pair of players, and then a third that's really complementary. Galchenyuk can kind of move up and down the lineup as long as he is not supposed to be the driving factor as he was when he got drafted by Montreal. Then he got traded and they expected more. I think what the Leafs are saying, just give us a good solid effort. We'll put you in a position to succeed. We'll give you some skills enhancement to be able to do whatever you have to do. And then you're going to go out and you're going to perform. And so far he's performed very, very well. He's meshed well with Tavares and Nylander when they moved him down to the fourth line. Again, he used the same skill set. He wasn't expected to be dominant or anything, but he hasn't made a lot of blatant mistakes and he hasn't looked out of place. So that, that's a great, 
point because here's a player that could have just been thrown onto the scrap heap. The Leafs looked at him and said, you know what, we have a reclamation project here. And not only that, but if he does end up becoming a very good player, he has the offensive instinct to really help us up front. And it just goes back to that same philosophy. How do we win games? You win games by scoring goals. You can't win games by playing defense. You don't score goals playing defense. That's a preventative measure, and it's an old-school mentality that is going by the way of, like, the Dodo. Okay, uh, we, need to, yeah. we need to get more offensively-minded. What I like about the Leafs roster when it's healthy is uh, that situation situation with Gelchenyuk mirrors the entire left side. You've got four guys that can move and play on any line, plus you've got a couple of wingers on the third and fourth line that could actually play uh, on either side, and you've got a couple of centers in the third and fourth line that could actually play on the wing. I like the flexibility. How about you? I do. I think the fact is we see a lot of the players that are probably playing in the NHL probably started or predominantly played center uh, during their developmental years. So moving them from the wing to the center is is not necessarily a, a, a strange um, element to their game. There are differences here that uh, maybe I should kind of qualify that a little bit. I think in today's game, while while we used to look at centers and wingers and they had distinct duties, we the game is changing to the degree that skilled players can take over at any point in time. So a center that isn't playing defensively because they're caught in the offensive zone trying to create offense will have to be um, – someone will have to substitute for that position. So right. rather than looking at positions like centers, right and left wing, I tend to start looking at forwards as F1, F2 and F3. So the F1 is the person that, that it first engages. If the center is more inclined to be defensively better in the uh, defensive zone, but he's not there, somebody has to take over that spot. So whether it's permanent because they aren't able to make the switch once everybody's back in the zone, they should be able to take up those duties. So there has to be an interconnection between the forwards to be able to play any situation, not necessarily position, but be able to transfer and switch back to their natural position when time comes. I think that the Leafs still struggle a little bit with that. Um, but it's a work in progress, and this is kind of a newer concept, newer idea that's prevalent in the NHL. Um, and what we're seeing is more uh, the concept of total hockey. We also see defensemen that jump into the play. They become more rover-like. It, it, we're going to see a shift in positional hockey to the degree that defensemen and forwards are going to be interchangeable. And this is kind of what we're seeing based on the comment that you made, that you have players that can play the wing, go into center, go back to the wing. So it's kind of like a breathing, a very malleable situation where you get players that can kind of play in any type of situation and still end up being productive on a team level. Okay. Now, based on what you said, tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong or not. Uh, based on how they've changed the game with the rules, the opening up the game, I mean, this is really what they had in mind anyway. And this goes back a number of years. It's taken a longer time than I, I think most would have expected for this to evolve this way, hasn't it? It has. But at the same time, too, the NHL also got a little bit lucky. This, this time period, we are seeing the greatest influx of skill from young players coming out of developmental leagues and directly into the NHL. So you don't longer have 26, 27, 28 year old players that are the impact players. They're starting at 19, 20, 21, 22, and they are not just producing, they are dominant in that. That's because you have kids that are starting to get more skills training at younger ages. They are much more prepared to enter into the NHL and 
to infuse the current ideas that includes analytics, that includes better systems prep, uh, better video preparation. These kids, they're ready to play. There's no no developmental uh, right. time required in the NHL. So they've latched onto the idea of trying to open up the game based on, you know, we, we didn't want to see any neutral zone trap or anything that we wanted to see free flowing skilled hockey. So they started doing that by changing some of the rules and allowing the teams and players to be more free flowing. And then they got lucky by getting this influx of really skilled players that, kind of hit the nail on the head and they really prove the point that we do want to see a more skilled product rather than this neutral zone trap even though it might be effective it is a boring boring oh. style to play wow think of think of game one edmonton and toronto earlier this year we had all that talent it was just <laughs> awful to watch uh, luckily the next eight games were good uh, let me ask you about uh, the albatross that the leafs have developed which is their power play which is just uh, it's it's a difficult thing to understand when you have that kind of talent and past success that you could go cold. What's your read on it? So I'd like to think that they were able to maintain the type of pace that they were, um, that they had at the beginning of the season. Clearly that's not the case. Um, and I feel that they have struggled more so because they didn't necessarily stick to their roots or what really made them successful at the beginning of the season. They're changing things up. Now, there's a bit of a, a, a catch-22 here. You can't be predictable enough that you're doing the same things and teams latch on to that, and then they're able to counter. So you need to be able to show some differences within your style of play. What I think the Leafs did was they took that to an extreme. They moved Matthews from one side to the other. They moved Marner from one side to the other. The one thing that they've done, which we we see now is a more prevalent issue, is there's very few shots coming from the point. So the point man is there to essentially kind of direct pucks to the sides where they're able to generate shots. So I'm going to add one more element to this. John Tavares. If John Tavares was playing a little bit better and the fact that his skill set is so prevalent to uh, being in the front of the net, checking, um, doing things that going back to the same idea of getting pucks back. So a shot on goal, they need to recover. John Tavares is supposed to be that player. He hasn't really been that player. So over the course of the season, he seems to have kind of drifted a little bit from that. And I think that that's affected their power play as well. They haven't had a fantastic power play since the beginning of the season. Um, and they're tinkering a lot. So I don't mind the tinkering because you, you show different elements to teams. But if the tinkering isn't becoming a positive element, I'm not really sure how much longer you can really do that. Okay, one final question before we let you go. Um, trade deadline, um, April 12th. Uh, I've uh, sort of adjusted my wish list for the Leafs. At one time, I was of the uh, opinion uh, top seven forward somebody who would play in the third line could move up uh in case of injury and would have some credentials that way now i'm just looking at a support player whether it's blue line or 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 up front because i think they have enough flexibility and enough strength in the blue line but enough flexibility up top that you don't want to mess with that what, what are your thoughts so i think from the blue line perspective i think they're okay Obviously, yeah. everybody would love to add depth because, you know, you never know an injury can happen and, and you always want to have that. For me, I think the biggest impact move on the blue line would be Matias Ekholm. If they're going to go all out and think that they need something to really upgrade their blue line, that's the only player that 
in the current landscape that seems to be available that I would make that type of an effort for. Hmm. Up front, I still think that they could use another scoring element, um, but he does end up becoming more of a support player. It's not like you're going to go out and, and and blow the bank just to get a, a, a highly skillful player. You don't need that. You need somebody that's more of a Zach Hyman type where you get right. some of that grit, some of the um, – um, the scoring elements, and it's a good mix because you can kind of play him almost anywhere in the lineup. The last note that I would add to that is you're going to hear a lot of people at the trade deadline saying they need to add toughness, they need to add grit, they need to. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think toughness and grit are an individual component on a on a player level. That's at a team level, and I've used lots of examples where even Austin Matthews at certain times has to be physical because the the play to continue that play requires some kind of a physical element unless the Leafs are really looking to overhaul everything all they really need is a good support player up front and the only player that they really need to make any big moves on would be Matthias Ekholm on the blue line excellent thanks very much Gus pleasure's always mine Jim thanks for having me on last minute of play in this podcast all right, there's the time warning from Mike Ross, our PA announcer, and also the resident PA announcer at Scotiabank Arena. Time now for the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards. We have three. Number one, Galchenyuk, an emphatic yes guy. This guy is a great fit with Tavares and Nylander. And, and you know, even if he doesn't play on that line on a regular basis, I am just absolutely thrilled that he's found a role. Remember, this guy was drafted third overall by Montreal. They didn't know whether he was a center or a winger. That got messed up, and everywhere he went since, it was, uh, well, we got this third guy. The guy was selected third overall in this draft. He's got to be a good player. Here, they acquired him, put him on the Marlies, worked with him, put him on the Tavares-Nylander line, and he was a good fit. So in this particular case, it's Galchenyuk. We need you to do this on this line. You can't take your eyes off. Very noticeable every shift. An emphatic yes guy. A yes guy to Matthews and Marner scoring in the same game. That hasn't happened in seven games. An emphatic yes guy. And the final award is a no guy. No guy. The Leafs goaltending. Anderson and Campbell. Chronic injuries. Don't like it. It's got to be solved. So we end on a no guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 23 of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back for episode 24 on Friday.